You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Christopher O'Brien, you have been a busy bee this past weekend. You attended a UFO convention sponsored by the Mutual UFO Network. Right, the International Symposium. Okay, this is the big one. This is the big annual conference. And in addition to that, there was a story at latimes.com. I don't know if it made it to the printed version of the newspaper. Sometimes they don't. But they went on talking about the convention, and they described the attendance as dozens of like-minded individuals. How many people were there? Boy, that's slanted. Uh, It was the largest, I think, international symposium in terms of attendees uh, in several years. They almost doubled last year's attendance figures. There was, uh, I think, 530 was the last number I heard. So it was actually very well attended. You go into the main lecture hall and you know, it was uh, it was pretty filled up, especially, you know, Richard Dolan's talk and, uh, and Linda Howe and, and others. OK, so we look here at this description in the newspaper or the online version of the newspaper and you wonder exactly what they're getting into. So, for example, now they finally admit later on in the article that there were a few hundred attendees. It said many of the few hundred attendees were baby boomers, children of the space race who grew up casting an eye to the heavens and never stopped questioning what could be out there. Others came with a more spiritual outlook. They view extraterrestrials as omnipotent protectors who often beckoned them in the night. Okay? So then they get to the wackadoodles. Creative journalism there, Gene. The final third of this article is all about the wackadoodles. This is what always happens. This is why we always make that criticism. Okay, if you're going to have a convention, you do want to obviously bring in an audience. Otherwise, you lose money. You have to at least break even, hopefully have a few extra dollars to pay the staff and everything. So sometimes you bring in speakers who are a little bit crazy because they drag in an audience. Now, yeah, I'm, one of your favorites was there. Being? No, a couple of your favorites. Uh, Jim Sparks was there and heard some interesting comments about his presentation. And, of course, the uh, our dear, sweet dragon queen of ufology herself, Linda Howe. Uh, she did a, a very interesting presentation, actually. I, I didn't actually get a chance to go in and really listen to any of the presenters, but I had a meeting of the San Luis Valley uh, camera team, our first face-to-face meeting with all the members together. And uh, Wayne uh, Hollenbeck actually got the DVD of Linda's talk, so I was able to look at uh, a portion of it a couple of days later, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, even though it was about those crazy California drones, she did have some pretty interesting correlations that she was able to magically produce out of her hat to kind of be her final sort of, I don't know, the... Uh, well, at the very end of her talk, she her piece de resistance was this correlation between the writing on the drone of these crazy California flying objects uh, from several years ago that she's convinced are real. And it correlated with an interesting crop circle formation. Uh, I haven't really looked at how exact the correlations were, but... Is this the lettering that looked like Star Wars lettering? Exactly. Okay, so uh, Star Wars lettering really has some connection to the real world. um, Evidently, uh, there was a crop circle that uh, that mimicked one of the symbols on the on one of the drones. I, I think it was a bit of a stretch, but boy, it was impressive to the crowd, I would imagine. I'm sure there was quite a few oohs and ahs with that one. And nobody mentioned the fact that these drones were so easily duplicated in Photoshop. Exactly. So she's still selling this deal. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, Linda's, oh, boy, she droned on and on. Okay, so Jim Sparks, did he address the question again of why he didn't have to use the bathroom when he was spending an entire day aboard a spaceship? I, again, I did not see his presentation. Out of all the presentations, that would have been the one I was probably least likely to see. But I'll tell you, the guy sure did a lot of pacing and muttering to himself outside the convention hall uh, when he wasn't speaking. I saw him on uh, several occasions outside. Uh, seemed very deep in thought and almost perturbed almost uh, about something. I'm not sure what. I kind of gave him a little wink and a nod and I'm not sure if I got one back, but uh, I had talked with Jan Harzan uh, several months ago when they announced that Jim Sparks was going to speak. And I said, you know, Jan, I thought you guys were a scientific, uh, you know, investigation organization. Why do you have somebody like Jim Sparks up there? And he says, oh, well, this year it's all about ET contact. And, you know, and uh, I guess they're trying trying to be all things to all people. So and basically they're giving up the pretense of presenting scientific information and they're adding the woo-woos. Well... From your mouth to God's ears there, Gene. I didn't really say that, but uh, now that you mentioned it, yeah. Oh, well. Well, they got a larger crowd. But the kind of coverage that the L.A. Times gave them... They did. Sure. kind of shows that that's a double-edged sword. So the question is, do you want to bring in a few more people and hopefully cover your expenses at the expense of losing your credibility? And MUFON, for so many years, has been considered... A pretty credible organization. Yes, we have the recent controversy with Clifford. Clifford, of course, James Carrion, the former director, all that stuff that's gone on. And you think they want to live it down. They want to show, hey, this is a serious organization. We're doing serious business. We're going to stay away from the wackadoodles. Yes, if people want to express individual opinions that we don't agree with, that's fine. If they want to present un- confirmed information that's fine but don't get up on the podium and address it yeah well i saw uh, i wasn't privy to the conversation but of, of course elaine douglas is, is spearheading an effort to get a more democratic move on established with uh, membership having you know a say in some of the decision making especially in in you know who the board members are for MUFON, and they had a very intense conversation. I could tell at one point, and I later I, I mentioned to Cliff that uh, I thought that you know maybe having a minority of the of the board members, a minority number of them being elected by the rank and file, uh, to to create more transparency and more of a democratic feel for the organization. And and he well, we need businessmen there. We we you know we if we you know allow membership to vote, uh, the organization would. Flounder and die within a year, I think, uh, was kind of how he put it. And What? Yeah. So I said, well, I don't know how many board members you are, but maybe take, uh, you know, if it's nine, take uh, four members are voted on by, by the membership, and then maybe the five are appointed by the board members. It, it just, in terms of an organization, you know, having directors and then, and then self-appointing these directors, uh, I don't know, it's just there's something wrong with that model. And I think it's it would an be, incestuous uh, relationship where you always reappoint your own. Yeah, and uh, I think I think it would be really healthy, and it would help the vibrancy of the organization if they actually allowed the membership to have a little bit more say. And he's saying, well, they may not choose business people. Well, how do you determine the qualifications of the proper member of the board of directors? Shouldn't you have somebody who is maybe a scientist in there, somebody who is a psychologist or a psychiatrist? People who actually can do real investigations, not just somebody running a business. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I've am i never been a member of MUFON. I resisted the temptation early on when I got involved in my investigative work. 
course, you know, I, I'm of the Groucho school. I wouldn't be a member of any group that would have me as one. So that's part of the reason. But the other part of the reason is that it, it just seems so political and there seems to be underlying agendas that don't really, you know, have anything to do with the actual, you know, statement of MUFON, you know, in terms of scientifically investing UFO, investigating UFOs. There seems to be a disconnect between the original vision of the organization and what it's devolved into at this point. And, of course, we have talked in, past, in the past on, on other shows about the relationship between MUFON and Robert Bigelow and whether that relationship still continues, how uh, the relationship uh, evolved or devolved uh, since uh, it began with the whole star team effort. So there, there are a lot of uh, problems and, and issues that need to be addressed in the organization. But the bottom line is, you know, because they're going a little new age, uh, they attract more people. And this, this doesn't bode well for the organization, I think. It, uh, you know, the further towards the woo-woo side of the equation that they go, they're going to see more people getting interested. Because people don't like to do their own research. They don't like to think for themselves. They like the media and organizations to, to do all the heavy lifting. And then they just say, yeah, I agree with that. I'll so, tell you what, we have to agree with this. We're going to leave the subject of MUFON, and we're going to go to the subject no more woo-woo. To the subject of UFOs and nukes, our guest today is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. It's been a couple of years since he's been on the show. Lots of new questions, a little bit of controversy, lots more. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. I've got to tell you about this. Go to meeting by Citrix. The way I meet online with my colleagues has just added high definition group video conferencing. It's called Go to Meeting with HD Faces. Now you can collaborate with anyone around the world face to face. And I've used Go to Meeting HD Faces because it's awesome. You see the facial expressions, and that can express so much more than words. And of course, the video quality is so clear and natural, it's got the highest resolution in the industry. Nothing compares. Go to meeting with HD Faces will make your online meetings even more personal, engaging, and effective. Plus, it's so easy to use. All you need is an internet connection and a webcam. I want you to try Go to Meeting with HD Faces. My listeners can try it free for 30 days. Visit gotomeeting.com. Click the try it free button. Use the promo code podcast. The promo code is podcast at gotomeeting.com. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. You've heard a lot lately about Zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. 
Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout. Zeo King flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke, cell phones, and chemicals. So it detoxifies heavy metals including mercury, lead, and cadmium. Zeo King Zeolite helps boost your immune system, allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites. Order your Zeo King Zeolite now from zeoking.com for only $39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order. Call 888-402-6779. That's 888-402-6779. Or visit zeoking.com. That's Z E O King.com for natural elimination of radiation poisoning. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com Returning after several years, it's Robert Hastings. He's author of a book called UFOs and Nukes, and what it's about is implicit in the title. And for those, Robert, who aren't familiar with your earlier appearance on the Paracast, I don't want to repeat or reinvent the wheel or start from scratch, but maybe briefly you can talk about what led you to covering this topic and where you found the evidence. My father was career Air Force, and in 1966-67, he was stationed at Nomstern Air Force Base, Montana, where at that time there were a number of UFO-related incidents at the nuclear missile sites. I ultimately began making inquiries of persons that he knew and uh, other military people who were there at the time and found out that was indeed real. By 1973, researcher Ray Fowler had mentioned in his book, uh, UFO, interplanetary visitors that he as a Minuteman missile contractor for a Sylvania corporation had learned about UFO activity at Malmstrom so I had all sorts of independent sources that this was indeed real so I began systematically seeking out and interviewing former and retired Air Force personnel that was 38 years ago I've interviewed nearly 130 at this point uh, retired veterans who former veterans who were involved in these kinds of incidents at various missile bases and other strategic air command facilities. You mentioned UFOs and nukes. Is it only over nuclear power plants that UFOs are seeing? What about 
traditional power plants. Well, my research into cases involving commercial plants uh, is, is minimal. I have a six-page appendix at the end, but uh, you know, the lion's share of my work relates to the weapons facilities, not the commercial production plants, power plants. Okay, so the other question, I guess, would arise, and we can start into the case histories over this, and that is, are UFOs just seen flying over the nuclear power plants, or do they do things that impact the operation of those plants. And we're starting to worry about that more and more because of what happened with the tsunami in Japan, where a couple of stations were knocked out and caused all sorts of problems. I really can't give you informed answers about the scope of the incidents uh, at nuclear power plants, commercial power plants. So rather than me saying that and wasting time on air, I think we need to focus on the nuclear weapons sites, which I am you know, an authority on. Um, so rather than spending time with my saying, I don't really know much about that, I think we need to retrench here and, and go back to... Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's move on to the weapons sites. Okay, now the question I would ask before we get on with some of the cases is, do we see, since we're supposedly giving up on nuclear weapons around the world, do we see fewer cases? How recent are they? It's impossible to quantify the situation because the government is not talking about this voluntarily. So I have to rely on my research efforts, my investigative efforts to ferret out sources who are involved in these incidents. So it's a catch-as-catch-can process. There's no way you can systematically say or accurately say X number of cases occurred in a given year and therefore, you know, delineate trends or predict future events. So it's a very, uh, it's a large jigsaw puzzle. Lots of pieces are missing. All I can say is that uh, the incidents at FE Warren Air Force Base in October of 2010, which have a very strong UFO connection, suggested to me that as long as nuclear weapons exist, the UFO phenomenon will be associated with it, even though uh, weapon stockpiles in Russia and the U.S. are far lower than they were during the Cold War era. I say in my book, as long as these weapons exist, uh, there are going to be UFO incidents at these sites. And I think the recent events that if you were in last October verify that beyond doubt. What were those recent events? Why don't we start with those in terms of case histories? Well, uh, on October 26, uh, the Atlantic magazine published a story uh, by a contributing editor named Mark Ambinder in which he revealed that he had leaked to him information that three days earlier on October 23rd, uh, F.E. Warren Air Force Base lost communications with 50 of its nuclear missiles. I can give you a detailed explanation why, but long story short, those missiles were unlaunchable for that period. The Air Force officially admitted once the story was leaked that this did take place, that it was related to a computer glitch, uh, that it lasted 59 minutes. Uh, when I began researching this, I quickly learned from ex-military personnel who have active, active duty contacts at the base that, in fact, this was a 26-hour episode intermittently, but basically these missiles were offline for 26 hours. And so the Air Force was trying to minimize uh, the situation. Beyond that, and more to the point, two Air Force technicians unequivocally stated that over a two-day period, the weekend of October 23rd, 24th, multiple sightings of a huge cigar-shaped object were made by various Air Force technical teams at various locations in this very huge 9,600-square-mile missile field where the missiles are located. And over this two-day period, a number of teams came back and were reporting seeing this cigar-shaped object 
maneuvering around the sky at high altitude. The descriptions provided to me via a retired source, military source, that this was quite clearly not a commercial blip. It was cigar-shaped, similar to a World War I Zeppelin. Um, it had no passenger gondola. It had no advertising on its side, written on its side, like the Goodyear blip. Quite clearly not a commercial blip. In the context of the other reports I've received over the last six months from law enforcement in Nebraska, where some of the missiles were located, and a number of civilian witnesses, I know that there have been ongoing UFO sighting reports at the missile sites. Uh, primarily the ones I know about are in western Nebraska, but there's a, a sprinkling in Wyoming and Colorado, which is part of the missile field. Civilians, law enforcement of uh, cigar-shaped objects, triangular-shaped objects, uh, a disc-shaped object, ball-shaped objects, spheres, um, all in close proximity to one launch facility or another. So. In the context of all of that, um, I think the the clear impl implication or inference is that um, this large cigar-shaped object had something to do with this 50-missile disruption. Proving that at this point would be difficult, but I think the, uh, the implication is there. One fast question here. In the event something like this happens, do they scramble aircraft to go up there and see what's going on? There are reports of scrambles. F.E. Warren does not have its own military uh, aircraft complement. Uh, we think that the uh, aircraft that were described in some of these cases chasing these objects away uh, probably came from uh, uh, Colorado. Um, there's a base near Denver. I'm drawing a blank on its name at the moment, but I am aware of reports uh, of, for example, on November 28th at about 11.30 p.m. local, uh, a witness has described a, a boomerang-shaped object um, being chased by a military jet fighter. Uh, the fighter was in afterburner. Uh, it was night. He couldn't tell whether it was an F-16 or F-15. Um, in any case, uh, it quite clearly was following this this object. This individual's house is literally surrounded by nuclear missile sites. Um, and he uh, is located in, in the southwest corner of Nebraska, not too far from Matthew Warren. I'll tell you what, we'll get into many more of these cases, particularly the earlier cases where you first began your investigation. We have Robert Hastings. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockers. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with you Himbi and Super Fem Plex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 cap summer sale priced at only $12. Colon and Answer 250 caps summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty! Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009. That's 877 457 9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We continue with Robert Hastings. The book is UFOs and Nukes. We're focusing on cases where UFOs were seen in and around nuclear weapons facilities and what's happened after that. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien, who is champing at the bit to ask lots of questions. Chris? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One thing that I I was actually quite uh, amazed by, and and this was all news to me. I'm I'm fairly well well versed in, in 
some of these cases that you've covered and some of the cases that have been more publicly exposed. But one of the things that I really found fascinating is the history of, of UFO sightings as it relates to early uh, above-ground nuclear explosions that, uh, you know, for nuclear testing. And uh, I had no idea that there were so many events that occurred in the early 50s, even the late 40s, if, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, can we talk about those a little bit before we go on to the more, uh, to obviously the, the more well-known cases in the mid-70s? Um, in 1977, I believe, or 78, uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee, a well-known UFO researcher, uh, he's a retired Navy physicist. He successfully used the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, to access documents from the FBI. I think he got something like 1,500 pages altogether from the late 40s, early 50s, some of which dealt with UFO activity at Los Alamos, the birthplace of nuclear weapons, at Sandia Labs, uh, and basically where I was born, Sandia Base, uh, which assembled and engineered nuclear weapons. Uh, there are also references to sightings at the plutonium and uranium production facilities of Oak Ridge, uh, Hanford, later Savannah River. So this thread of UFO activity at nuclear weapons sites in general uh, is very well established and documented, at least as early as December of 1948. Now, what I have done over the years is sought out persons who were either uh, in the Navy or at least in the military during the atomic testing, uh, hydrogen bomb testing in the South Pacific. I've located persons who are interviewed. Uh, everyone's interviewed on tape, uh, basically, when I talk to them. Former sailors describing sightings of UFO activity just prior to the first hydrogen bomb blast in uh, 19, uh, November of 1952 and so on and so forth. There's actually another researcher named Dan Wilson who's referenced in my book at length. He found a, a declassified document that now is no longer available mysteriously enough after I publicized it, but it basically said that I think on April 7th, 1954, a UFO buzzed at low altitude the command and control ship of the uh, Operation Castle tests which included uh, Castle Bravo, the largest hydrogen bomb detonation by the U.S. ever to take place. So there's this clear link of UFO activity. I've talked to uh, former Air Force personnel who were designated to fly through the hydrogen clouds, the, the, the mushroom clouds after the blast with radiation sampling equipment. Uh, some of them have reported uh, seeing and or tracking objects on radar in the same vicinity that quite clearly were not conventional aircraft both by their maneuvers and uh, their, their extremely high altitudes. Um, so there's that. And then also, smaller blasts, there were a series of nearly 100 detonations in Nevada at what was lastly known as, known as the Nevada test site. There are a number of persons referenced in my book, military persons who describe seeing UFOs during those various tests. Uh, there are references to published accounts of those sightings in some instances in the local Las Vegas Sun newspaper. I actually interviewed a man named Walter, I'm drawing a blank here. I got about three hours sleep last night. In any case, Walt Levine. Walt Levine was a former Air Force Air Policeman at the Nevada test site in 1955 for a test called um, Drama Blank again. Anyway, uh, he said that for several months period, his job was to basically monitor the skies for anomalous objects and uh, then make a call over a secure line to report the sightings of the objects, their altitude, their heading, uh, their the description of the object. 
and then once he made this report, he was to burn the piece of paper that that he reported all this data on. Uh, the teapot tests is what I was trying to think of a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago. So, in short, there are multiple sources from the military, Air Force, the Navy, in some cases the Army, confirming that almost from the get-go, uh, the birth of the nuclear age, uh, UFO activity has been repeatedly observed around weapons laboratories, test sites, uh, weapons storage areas, and most importantly, I think, the weapons deployment sites, the missile sites, bomber bases. So it's it's across the board. It's, it's been in every at every Air Force base in the United States decade after decade after decade. Well, do we have any sense of how the, uh, you know, uh, Twining and other uh, top uh, military brass at the time you know what their thinking was in relation to these these reports because unlike the more popular and more well-known reports of the 70s uh these must have been of quite a concern to the brass and do we have a sense of their thinking at the time you mentioned general twining in particular i'm unaware of any piece of paper that's been declassified which would suggest that he was aware of this he probably was but documenting that with a paper trail um, i'm unaware of any evidence we have on the other hand um, a memorandum from december i believe of 1952 written by a man named dr marshall chadwell who was the head of the cia's office of scientific investigation he was reporting to the then director of cia uh, walter smith general walter b smith that uh, there had been in the previous months a number of incidents of UFOs at high altitude maneuvering above unspecified defense uh, sites. We now know from other sources of information that the, those incidents quite clearly, clearly corresponded to UFO activity at the Hanford site in Washington State at Oak Ridge and Savannah River in South Carolina. So the director of CIA uh, was informed of these incidents in December of 52, if not earlier. I find it interesting that among all of the UFO documents that the CIA currently has on its website, uh, that document's missing. And uh, it's been in the public domain since uh, the 70s, and yet the CIA doesn't seem to want to acknowledge its existence online. Sure, but can you be surprised over that? No, I'm just, I'm just, it was an opportunity for me to be snide, so it took <laughs> Okay, of course the CIA is not going to admit anything. The government is not. And officially speaking, any of these cases that have been disclosed publicly, they will all have some kind of conventional explanation as far as the government is concerned, right? Of course. Um, it's it's actually a non-topic um, the, what I have found in my interviews with, as I said, nearly 130 people who were at various bases and so on, um, the, the whole matter, especially in the early days, was really handled, handled on uh, quite quite a diverse way. Some like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. I think these incidents were so unprecedented and the shock value was so high that uh, people were making up procedures on the spot, it seemed. Um, officially, UFO sighting activity was to be reported to Project Blue Book. That did not happen a lot of times in these nuclear weapons-related cases. Uh, what I have found instead is that OSI agents, Office of Special Investigations agents, uh, were 
called in or flown in even uh, to interview the witnesses, the missile launch officers and so on. In some cases, persons were required to sign non-security, uh, national security non-disclosure statements, secrecy oaths in effect. In other cases, they were just giving verbal admonishments not to talk about various things. Um, and again, there's this really strange combination of responses that the Air Force um, responded with, you know, uh, reacted with uh, in, in response to these accounts of UFO activity at nuclear weapons sites. Um, but some of the people I've talked to, the, you know, they've said repeatedly, this was a non-event. Uh, you know, we were when we got back to the base, we were told nothing to discuss, go home. Um, I assume that other members had all previously reported to the commanders what went on, and so the witnesses that I talked to, you know, really they, all they could do was second, uh, you know, add verification to what the earlier sources had said. So their commanders didn't really debrief them. They just said, you know, nothing happened, nothing to discuss, go home. Uh, and forget about than, it. We know the scene. We have Robert Hastings. The book is UFOs and Nukes. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan, in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide? Go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop. Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, 
corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Don't let summer be a bummer. Stop sunburn pain, poison ivy, and mosquito bite itch, and the burn of athlete's foot with just one safe-all natural first aid product, Dermatol. Many GCN listeners have already discovered how effective Dermatol is as a natural, non-acidic way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many skin problems. Now this special offer. Buy one bottle of Dermatol. Get one bottle free. Call 1-800-217-6677 and mention GCN. Dermatol is the must-have for First aid product for your preparedness kit. Made in America by Americans, Dermatol's soothing, rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Call 800 217 6677. That's 800 217 6677. And ask for the GCN Buy One Get One Free Special or use coupon code GCN at checkout at DermatolUSA.com. Spelled D E R M A T O L U S A.com. Efficient, economical, effective. Spray it all with Dermatol. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're back with Robert Hastings. The book is UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien on the Paracast. In connection with guests, when we have enough advance warning, we put up a thread in a forum called The Question Bank at forum.theparacast.com. Look for that place because that's where you can ask your questions. And we have a few that are going to be strewn throughout the show as we go on as they seem relevant. Chris, you found a question that kind of relates to where we've gone so far. Yeah, we've got more than a few questions, Robert. Actually, your uh, appearance here has generated probably the most amount of questions that we've had in quite some time. Uh, Much to your credit, uh, there's a lot of interest out there, as you well know, in this subject. And I have a question that kind of relates to uh, this early period that you've just been uh, referring to. And it comes from one of our longtime posters, uh, Blowfish. And he asks, Mr. Hastings, have you got any eyewitness accounts of UFO interference of ordnance bases prior or during World War II? Good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry. The, there was a little blip uh, um, when you made uh, – when you uh, – Okay, I'll ask that, it again. Mr. Hastings, have you got any eyewitness accounts of UFO interference – over ordnance bases prior or during World War II? Um, off the top of my head, I would have to say no. Of course, there are the well-recorded uh, and reported sightings of the so-called true fighters, essentially UFOs, uh, by both Allied and Axis pilots um, in, during World War II uh, by bomber crews, fighter pilots, and so on of luminous balls of light. Uh, the occasional disc-shaped object in daylight. Um, but as far as these things coming down and hovering over standard ordnance sites, I personally can't think of anything at the moment. Now, um, I have, since my book came out in 2008, I'm currently 
taking additional sources of information, of course, um, I've interviewed a man named uh, Bud Clem, who is a former U.S. Navy pilot in World War II. I have all of his military paperwork. Uh, he, his squadron was stationed near the Hanford site in Washington State in January and February of 1945, several months before the atomic bombings in Japan. And Mr. Clem reports three separate separate incidents that he was aware of where a bright object hovered directly over the Hanford site um, and was chased away by a member of his squadron on three separate occasions. Um, and the object just raced away at enormous velocity. So you have even prior to the end of World War II, you have a nuclear weapons-related incident in that case. Okay. Now, one of the things, of course, anytime you find someone who makes a very strong presentation about UFO evidence, there's always going to be another shoe that drops. There have been some controversies over UFOs and nukes. Some people, at least one particular person, has gone in there and has attacked you for what you're saying. What's that all about? You're talking about James T. Carlson. Uh, James T. Carlson has some problems, and I am simply repeating what his father told me on the phone in 2008. Uh, Mr. Carlson Sr. has made similar statements to two other individuals, and as I've told James Carlson, I'm prepared to have these uh, test this testimony presented under oath in a court of law if he uh, wants to pursue this. But let's just say that Mr. Carlson's grasp on reality as regards uh, this subject matter of UFOs and nukes is not exactly solid. Um, his father was a launch officer at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967. Uh, he was at a place called Echo Flight. Uh, his deputy commander was a man named uh, Walt Fiegel, who's now a retired colonel. Um, when Bob Salas, who was a missile launch officer at another site at Malmstrom in March of 67, Oscar flight, when Mr. Salas went public with uh, a, an incident involving a UFO apparently shutting down most or all of his missiles at Oscar, uh, Mr. Carlson Jr., uh, uh, James Carlson, viciously attacked uh, Bob Salas and said that he was a liar and a fraud. Because why? Uh, because James' father, Eric Carlson, said there were no UFOs at Malmstrom in 1967. Um, so James has uh, frenetically uh, just posted information on probably a thousand websites, it seems that way, saying that Bob Salas and now myself are liars and frauds because we contend that the UFOs involved with two separate mass missile shutdowns at Malmstrom in March of 67. Unfortunately for James Carlson, uh, we have interviews on tape, both Bob Salas and I, with uh, the launch officers. Uh, Eric Carlson's uh, deputy commander, Walter Fiegel, has discussed at length with me on tape, uh, which is now online. Uh, you, you can hear him discussing what really happened at ECHO. He received reports of a, quote, large round object hovering over one of the missiles at Echo just as the entire flight failed. Um, I've recently, as of this past May 6, interviewed Colonel uh, Mywald, who was Bob Salas's commander at the other flight involved, Oscar flight, in which um, one can hear online um, Colonel Mywald, now retired Colonel Mywald, saying that Bob Salas's um, story about the UFO activity at Oscar during the shutdown there is, quote, very accurate. 
Now, I am in the process of rebuilding my website. It's virtually done. One can go to ufohastings.com and see detailed articles uh, about these two incidents, including um, links to audio tapes. The link should be up within the next day or two. If one wants to immediately listen to links, uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be aired uh, initially, then one could go to the UFO Chronicles, uh, search for Colonel Walt Fiegel, F-I-G-E-L, or Colonel Fred Mywald, M-E-I-W-A-L-D, and you will find links to my audio tape conversations with these individuals. So in short, to summarize, uh, two separate incidents in March of 67 at Malmstrom at Echo Flight and Oscar Flight involved UFO activity at, during large-scale uh, missile shutdowns. Three of the four officers involved in those two incidents have now gone on the record with various degrees of enthusiasm. Fiegel uh, and Mywald are not thrilled about the spotlight being on them, um, but they have confirmed uh, what Bob Salas said um, and what I say, that indeed UFOs uh, are involved in these shutdown incidents. Um, so James Carlson came on slandering and libeling me and Bob Salas till the cows come home but it doesn't change the facts. So what's his motive? I think, uh, well, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I will simply repeat what I said earlier. His father has made statements to me and two other individuals about his, um, quote, problems. And so I think that's one of the factors. Uh, now, you don't want to specify what those problems yeah. are. Um, I'm going to, you know, I've been quite candid, uh, let's just say they're of a psychological nature. And um, I think if anyone reads what James Carlson has posted online, it's not terribly uh, hard to figure out that something's not quite right in, in terms of his approach to addressing the subject. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Any further discussion of this is going to have to be an illegal mm -hmm. venue. And I have, yeah, I throw, I've thrown down the gauntlet. I've thrown down the gauntlet to James Carlson. You know, your father has said things to me and two other individuals. We will all testify under oath in a court of law about those conversations. Um, the, the point that should not be missed, the key point, is that the officers themselves, including uh, Bob Salas, of course, but the two that, uh, according to James Carlson, say there were no UFOs involved in these incidents, uh, specifically Colonels Spiegel and Mywald, have said just the opposite on tape repeatedly to me and Bob Salas. So James Carlson can continue to live in his fantasy world. Um, I'm not terribly thrilled by being called a liar and a fraud uh, all over the Internet, but, you know, the facts speak for themselves. Anyone can listen to these audio tapes. Well, the fact is, of course, that we here at the PowerCast, we get criticized for all sorts of different reasons, <laughs> existent and otherwise. I mean, we're not above criticisms. We do lots of things that are messed up, as anyone does. Yeah. But we have people online who seem to have nothing better to do than form what we might call the yeah. PowerCast Hate Brigade. We mention them, but we don't name them on the show, and I think that's why they hate us even more. They hate us even more because... We refuse to acknowledge their existence except in a very general fashion. I mean, if you go to the forums, you're going to see some oh of the boy. names of the worst offenders, but we're not going to glorify them here. If they don't like the show, don't listen. I mean, yeah. what's so important? Is this going to take over your life? It's a talk show. We like doing it. Our listeners like what we do. And if you find you don't, well, there are other radio shows or turn off the radio and listen to music. I don't know. 
And if you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, write us. News at theparacast.com. Once again, that's news at theparacast.com. We will read each and every message we get. That's a promise. Robert Hastings is our guest. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. And for once and for always, this is The Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're in the second hour of the Paracast. Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, is our guest. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. Robert, before we go on with case histories and other subjects, what is your background? Do you have a day job? I trained in photography. Uh, I got a degree as uh, in photography from Ohio University in 1972. I worked in the field. I was employed by Northern Illinois University as a photo technician for eight years. But I had, by 1981, uh, developed enough ex-military sources who were discussing all of this stuff, and I felt so strong philosophically that people needed to know about it, that I basically quit that job, went out on the college lecture circuit on a wing and a prayer, and spent really a good part of the 1980s speaking about this and researching this. I did retrain in 1986 to 88 in the field of electron microscopy, electron microscope technology at San Joaquin Delta College in Stockton, California and basically became, for the next 14 years, almost 15 years, a laboratory analyst for Phillips Semiconductors in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Those have been my bread and butter job. The plant closed, and my lab is now in Shanghai. I closed in uh, 2002, I think. In any case, I have basically been on the lecture circuit since. I'm nearing retirement age. Uh, my activities are being curtailed to some degree, uh, for one reason or another, but I've just decided uh, to devote what time I have left, as long as I have all of my marbles, to um, pursue this subject and publish as much of it as possible. So that's it in a nutshell. You know, I'm, I'm driven to do this. Um, I just feel it's terribly, terribly important that uh, people know it exists, that uh, despite 60 years of uh, lies and obfuscation by the U.S. government about the UFO phenomenon. One can argue whether they're 
acting in the in the American people's best interests or not, but the fact that it's gone on is well documented. There is a UFO cover-up, and I am finding, and certainly I'm an authority after nearly 40 years on the fact that one of the things that's being covered up is ongoing UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites all around the U.S. And most importantly, in some instances, it appears, according to the witnesses, weapons have been compromised. They've been tampered with uh, by whoever are aboard these craft. And I think that's a story that needs to be told. I'll tell you what, before we get into more listener questions, can you be specific about how these weapons have been tampered with? The majority of cases that are being described to me involve disruptions of the guidance and control systems. That's what happened in both of the uh, full-flight shutdowns at Malmstrom and 67 at Echo and Oscar Flight. Basically, the missile could not have found its target because its guidance system had been disrupted. Uh, These were hardware issues. There are other reports of software issues, what are being called targeting tapes. That's uh, a proper term in some instances and others. uh, It involves a different technology, but basically the software that targets the warhead is disrupted and the targets, uh, the warheads rather, need to be retargeted. Um, There is the very famous Big Sur UFO case uh, to former or retired Air Force officers, uh, Major Florence Mansman and former Lieutenant Bob Jacobs uh, have independently confirmed that uh, the exact date is really in question, but sometime in the fall of 64, 1964 at Vandenberg Air Force Base during a test launch of a, an Atlas missile with a dummy warhead test system, which was being filmed. Everything was on film, the booster separation from the warhead, etc. According to both Major Mansman and Lieutenant Jacobs, uh, the film captured a saucer-shaped object with a dome, a central dome, flying in, circling the warhead, and firing beams of light at it uh, before racing out of camera frame. Seconds later, the warhead began to tumble and fell into the ocean hundreds of miles short of its target. Um, if one goes to my website and, and looks at the article relating to Big Sur, um, you'll see all of this in detail. So there you have, according to these two Air Force officers, a, an unambiguous, direct, dramatic, provocative interference with a nuclear warhead in flight at something around 14,000 miles per hour as it's, being, uh, as it's flying downrange over the Pacific to a splashdown area. Now, fast-related question, Robert, just wanted to ask you, it occurs to me. More recently, we've had so many instances where Internet criminals can hack into the CIA, into government installations. Now, maybe not 30, 40, 50 years ago, but more recent cases, could they just be hackers who gain control of the weapons of these onboard systems? Uh, You're talking about whoever is aboard the UFOs? No, I'm talking about... Not UFOs, but individual hackers. Forget the UFOs. Think about the tampering of the systems. If I understand your question, I, you know, I, I, it doesn't really compute for me. Not, no pun intended, because um, you know what you have um, are the cases that I've investigated. You quite clearly have an, an outside presence. Uh, somebody or something uh, maneuvering around or hovering in a disc-shaped craft or cigar-shaped craft uh, concurrent with these uh, disruptions. So there's no implicate, there's no inference whatsoever, not even remotely, of some uh, 
prosaic interference from the ground by okay so we can always say robert that anytime this happens a ufo is going to be in the vicinity i'm saying that the cases that have come to my attention from persons who were there and i have their military records etc are that there was a unambiguous involvement of a ufo and did not involve any sort of hacking of the computer systems chris couple more questions. Um, actually, we have quite a number, but um, I'm trying to put them in a logical order here. Um, how about actual responses to these UFOs? Pixelsmith, who's been a long time, one of our original posters on the, on the forum, asks, has anyone attempted to shoot at UFOs over ICM, uh, ICBM bases, and if not, why? And do we have any really good video or photographs? I mean, obviously, there's security cameras at these bases, and you would think that they're just heavily guarded and heavily watched. What sort of photographic evidence do we have and and has there been any armed response to any of these uh you know jet scrambled uh cannon fire missiles uh targeted on these objects uh the jet scrambles that i am aware of i off the top of my head cannot think of a single instance in which either a document or witness testimony uh would suggest that the, the jets got close enough to even fire on the objects um, the UFOs usually leave the vicinity at such enormous velocities that the jets are basically left in the dust. So if there are such instances where the jet, the pilots got off a shot, either cannon fire or missiles, I can't um, think of anything off the, off the top of my head that I'm aware of. Um, but the jet chase, chases certainly do take place. I am aware of a, two separate reports. Uh, from former security personnel, uh, one at um, Minot Air Force Base and the other at Ellsworth Air Force Base, both in the 1960s, where allegedly once a saucer-shaped object came in and silently hovered above a missile site, uh, one or more guards on site uh, guarding, uh, for example, security was down, so that a camper team, as it's called, was put out overnight to guard the missile silo while its uh, security system was temporarily offline. Uh, these two separate reports suggest that these guards were so freaked out that they actually fired their, their weapons at them, um, rifles basically, um, either M1s or M16s, depending on the era involved. Um, and there were even, um, you know, uh, in, w in one of the two cases, reports of hearing plinking sounds when the bullets hit the objects, uh, object. Um, but that's really all I can say about that. As far as photography, um, no one, and, and, you know, going back to way back when, when missiles came online in the early 60s, um, one of the Air Force regulations for personnel working out there was not to have a camera uh, of any type or recording device. The reasons for that, you know, could be any number of things, but uh, just under the auspices of security, the rationale for security. In any case, despite that, some of my ex-Air Force, uh, uh, Force veterans have said there were persons who violated the rules, took cameras out there, and did actually pick up on film at the time, objects on film. Uh, the cameras and film were later confiscated. Okay, we'll have to get into the photography and all those ramifications in a moment. Robert Hastings joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in The Paracast. Yeah. 
Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Fake Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fake Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fakemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits gold it's like nothing else on earth from the romans through the renaissance from the industrial age to the space age gold has weathered the test of time for six thousand years gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-223. For the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As good as gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bail, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with pre-pass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without pre-pass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try pre-pass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty! Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. PrizeKitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to PrizeKitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. PrizeKitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. 
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. Robert Hastings is author of UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm the Paracast. So you were saying before we broke for that brief period of time that where they took cameras out, those cameras were confiscated. So we have no photographic record of any of this. I can again only address the statements made to me by the persons that I've managed to track down. And I'm unaware of anyone who said they still have a photograph of something they shot out at the site. On the other hand, several persons have described either first-hand knowledge or just hearing through the grapevine that some, one guard or another took um, a camera and did capture an object, but the film and camera was later confiscated. Uh, I'm simply reporting what was told to me by persons who's, who've been vetted, their backgrounds, their presence in these squadrons at these spaces uh, in various periods of time. Okay, I have another question here that um, it, it's a question I have as well. And one of the things that, that's always kind of tickled my the back of my mind is that we may be seeing some sort of attempt by uh, the military to ascertain the the level of proficiency that our security forces at these at these facilities, uh, you know, what level of proficiency that they can exhibit. Is there a possibility, and this is a question from Trained Observer, is there any evidence of a U.S. Air Force or even recently Homeland Security response to UFOs over ICM bases, ICBM bases? And is there the possibility of some sort of uh, psychological uh, testing going on here to ascertain how effective our security forces are? Could this be actually an elaborate test of security, in other words? Well, the skeptics, debunkers have attempted to float that scenario. It, it just does really not work for several reasons. There are, for example, these cases where the objects are being sighted at the missile sites and there are concurrent radar trackings of the objects. The objects quite clearly are doing things that no aircraft in the Air Force arsenal can do. So they quite clearly are not, um, you know, Air Force vehicles sent out to, for some sort of ostensible readiness exercise. Moreover, as a number of these retired Air Force launch officers and targeting officers have adamantly stated in any readiness exercise, you do not take it to the point where you degrade your readiness capability. You do not cause strategic weapons that could be needed in the blink of an eye if a president orders a nuclear strike. You do not take large numbers of weapons offline that are offline for hours. You do not damage the hardware that prevents those missiles being launched. And yet this has been described again and again at various bases. So there's two reasons right there where you would not have uh, any, there's no credible reason to think that these are readiness exercises. Moreover, and I think this is very telling, with the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, there was a brief period 
in the early 90s, where a number of Western journalists and researchers, for example, George Knapp, went to the former Soviet Union and interviewed former and retired Soviet military personnel, actually accessed some KVG documents, some various Soviet government documents in some cases. And among all that data, among all the documents and the uh, testimony from these witnesses that has been generated, there are multiple instances of UFO activity at Soviet missile sites and so and, and weapons storage areas. Some quick examples. Uh, in July of 1989, at a place called Kapustin Yar, there's now KGB documents confirming that m large numbers of military personnel saw a, a saucer-shaped object with a dome come in and hover over a nuclear warhead storage depot or building facility that had warheads, sending down beams of light onto this weapons storage depot. That is virtually identical to what Colonel Charles Halt as described as having occurred at RAF Bentwaters in December of 1980, where an uh, object was sighted by security personnel at the weapons storage area there, sending, uh, hovering uh, above or near the, the WSA, the weapons storage area, and sending down beams of light onto that facility. And yet this incident in the Soviet Union some nine years later was obviously unknown at the time, and yet you know you have virtually identical incidents. Another case, I've interviewed a man named David Schur, who was a nuclear missile launch, missile launch officer at Minot Air Force Base in 1966. He describes being down in the launch capsule one night at Echo Flight when he, one of his security guards at ground level reported that a bright object was rapidly moving instant start, instant stop from missile to missile among the missiles operated by Echo Flight. When the guard called down and said it's over Echo, let's say one or, or two or four or whatever, the launch control console indicated that missile had gone into launch mode and was preparing to launch. David Shore said that he and his commander and a separate, you know, the whole procedure was undertaken to disrupt those launch attempts. He's of the opinion that there was no premeditated effort to start World War III by whoever was in the UFO. He believes that somehow they were just sort of learning how the systems work and inadvertently triggered the launch. An alternate scenario is that they did trigger the launch knowing they could shut it down just to scare the hell out of the Air Force. In any case, we now know that on October 4, 1982, at a base in Soviet Ukraine, a virtually identical incident occurred where a saucer-shaped object hovered above this missile base. For 15 seconds, suddenly a, an unspecified number of missiles activated and were prepared to launch, or preparing to launch. Uh, after 15 seconds, this anomaly ceased and everything returned to normal. In June of last year, 2010, a Soviet newspaper called Life reopened that case, interviewed some of the witnesses who were there who went on the record. They interviewed me. This paper interviewed me, got my input, and uh, that article is posted at my website. I should quickly point out also that my book, UFOs and Nukes, is self-published. Scalpers are selling copies of it on Amazon for 150 bucks. My website is the only place to get it for what it sells for currently. You know, so if one, one is interested in getting the book or reading many, many, many of my articles, the website is the best place to do that. Okay, I have some more uh, listener questions, and this kind of gets into the realm of uh, speculation here in terms of, I mean, you are our preeminent uh, researcher in this field. As you said, you have a 40-year history plus a personal history of, you know, being a uh, born in Sandia and, and living actually on one of these bases uh, or near one. But let's get into a little bit of uh, speculation here. Uh, this is a question from Turjarv. 
he's uh, from Delaware, <laughs> as he puts it. I'm not sure if Mr. Hastings has ever addressed this, but which UFO hypothesis uh, do you believe is the most plausible? And he lists out the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, cryptoterrestrials, dimensional travels, etc. And his follow-up question is, he would also like to second uh, the question that another uh, poster has, has posed, which we'll get to as well, which is essentially, why the heck would whatever they are care? Sure, we have nukes and are capable of destroying ourselves, but so what? If these UFO operators really thought we were such a nuisance and a safety hazard, wouldn't they remove us from the equation? I don't see any plausible explanation for UFOs to be messing with our weapon systems just to quote-unquote teach us a lesson or warn us. Please explain your theory on this. And that's a good question. I mean, what is the motivation, Robert? And before you answer that question, Robert, we got to take a brief pause, but remind our listeners... If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, about current episodes, previous episodes, the direction of the show, anything at all, write us, news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. The book we're talking about, UFOs and Nukes. There's a question on the table for the author, Robert Hastings. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in a grand science fiction tradition. Smokers. Are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, this product contains nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with this product prior to use. This product not designed for use by pregnant women. You must be 18 years or older to purchase this product. Is your church, school, or organization desperately looking for new fundraising ideas? Tired of the same old candles or candy, taking orders, inventory, and low profits? Well, here's great news. 10X Fundraising guarantees 10 times traditional profits with zero hassle. For an amazing free bonus, free shipping, and an extra 10% off, enter GCN when you go to 10xfundraising.com. That's the number 10, the letter X, fundraising.com. Or call 800-480-8797. Visit 10X Fundraising for 10 times a profit today. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per Month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Robert Hastings on the agenda, UFO and nukes is the Bill of Fare. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in the Paracast. Prior to our brief break, Chris asks multi-part questions about the subject to Robert. How about a multi-part answer? First, my personal opinion is that these are beings from somewhere else in the universe. Persons who've kept up with theoretical physics know that the old uh, supposed light speed barrier that for 100 years, according to Einstein's theory, Uh, Nothing could travel the speed of light. Therefore, even if these critters are out there on various worlds, there's no way they could get from their world to our world with such frequency, etc. All of that has been turned on its head, according to the theorists. There are now any number of uh, serious theories presented in peer-reviewed scientific journals about ways in which the speed of light can be surpassed by many, many times for the existence of something called higher dimensional space or hyperspace. Uh, Your listeners can do their own homework on that. But in any case, I have a whole chapter. I interviewed um, six or eight theorists papers and present thumbnail sketches of what they propose for alien visitation, how they do it, etc. You're firmly convinced that we're dealing with the extraterrestrial hypothesis here. These are beings coming from physical space, uh, from some other star system, planet in some other solar system. They're coming here and they're playing around with our nuclear weapons. And again, part two of the question is why? I mean, for what purpose? Well, at its basis, that's what I'm saying. That is my opinion. However, if you look at some of the theories that are being proposed about how the universe is uh, structured and how it works and so on, it's not inconceivable that some of these visitors, quote-unquote, are from other dimensions, other types of reality that are integrate with our universe. So you can't just say they're traveling space-time from planet A to planet B. But 
just as a catch-all category, these are beings from somewhere else. They are not human. They are not. They not from the hollow earth. They don't have, uh, you know, a a home here per se. But having said that. Okay, but you're saying here we basically assume here then that the entities seen in and around UFOs, largely the gray aliens, this is what you assume when you use the term non-human. Well, gray aliens is too limited and too specific. If one looks at sighting reports of entities near landed UFOs or low-altitude hovering UFOs, and you weed out, let's say, less than credible data and look at reports by law enforcement personnel around the world who have no reason to lie about these things. Usually it it adversely impacts their job, but who reported seeing beings, quote-unquote, near these saucer-shaped craft or cigars or whatever, you you quite clearly come to the conclusion that if, if these reports have merit at all, that there is a diversity of life forms being described. Some of them are three feet tall, some are seven feet tall, some look human, some quite clearly are not human, but their morphologies, their appearances, spatial features, coloring, etc., are so different from one another that they quite clearly are from different points of origin, that is, different worlds, different planets. So that's my view, you know, setting aside all of of the abduction reports, which are controversial, involving hypnosis sometimes, et cetera, just dealing with eyewitness reports by cops around the world, going back to the the early 50s, you have the suggestion of multiple races visiting Earth. To get further into the question of why they don't just sit down on the White House lawn or in the Kremlin courtyard and say, knock it off, get rid of your nukes, that suggests to me that there is a larger uh, plan potentially leading to open contact with humankind that what I think they're engaging in with what could be called display behavior where they come in and hover over large cities for no apparent uh, utilitarian reason other than just to basically say, hey, look at us. I think you have enough incidents of that going on decade after decade uh, with all the other sighting reports to suggest that there is a decades-long, maybe a 100-year-long, who knows how long, psychological preparation process going on whereby they know that if they suddenly in one fell swoop land on the White House lawn, et cetera, there could be panic. There could be a whole host of adverse consequences. Whereas, on the other hand, if they engage in this on-again, off-again, tantalizing, teasing behavior that when they ultimately decide to up the ante and announce themselves to us, then the consequences could be far less dire. However, In the context of the Cold War era, where you had so many instances of Armageddon, nuclear Armageddon, uh, us being just minutes away, I have a chapter listing 20 documented instances where either we or the Soviets misunderstood something, thought the other was about to launch a nuclear strike, and were preparing to do so. There's so many cases where... You know, World War III could have happened except for the grace of God or just sheer dumb luck over the last 60 years that these beings, whoever they are, one or more races, have decided to covertly interact to monitor the situation both here and in the Soviet Union, to occasionally interject themselves directly and interfere with the functionality of the weapons, to send a message of one kind or another, in my opinion, to Washington and Moscow. But all of this was done on a stealthy, covert fashion, if not for persons such as myself and Bob Salas and others who were involved in these incidents and feeling the need to speak out publicly about them. Most of this conversation would be, you know, still hidden knowledge because it's still classified. 
So whoever they are can play this two-track game whereby they're, they're immediately injecting themselves from time to time into what they consider trigger situations that might precipitate nuclear warfare. Uh, but at the same time, they're holding off with, you know, the once and for all unequivocal unve- unveiling of themselves until whatever timetable they have in mind uh, has has transpired. Well, can we can we look at a correlation between these uh, hair trigger incidents where, you know, we went to uh, heightened states of alert and and then possibly these objects would show up as sort of a preemptive uh, exercise? Uh, I mean, do we have any real direct correlations? We have a paper trail that that says that, you know, we went to this level, uh, alert level at this time, and then, uh, you know, these objects came in. Could possibly their motivation be to help help us ratchet back our hair trigger sort of behavior during the Cold War? There are a number of incidents where that is, is suggested indeed. Uh, other persons with whom I've been in communication are saying that I need to hit that point more heavily, more harder, hard, hard, um, that there does seem to be a, a cause and effect relationship from time to time. I'm not prepared to do that for a number of reasons, but uh, uh, except to say that uh, that there are, for example, um, it's now known uh, that there were uh, newspaper articles in around the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 62, where UFOs were being reported by civilians and law enforcement near missile sites in Montana. The, the first basically online Minuteman missile uh, squadron just basically went online around that time. John Kennedy called it uh, his ace in the hole. Um, We now know, and Dan Wilson, researcher Dan Wilson, is wonderfully diligent about ferreting these things out. He's found, I think, three separate articles uh, suggesting just prior, prior, I mean, days, in some cases, well within the the Cuban Missile Crisis, either days prior or well within the Cuban Missile Crisis, there were sightings of UFOs at these missile sites in Montana. So that's pretty pretty strong circumstantial evidence that when it appeared we, we were about to push the button, so to speak, we are the Soviets. Uh, there were you was a UFO presence at at least one uh, missile squadron in Montana. One subject we've skirted around here is, of course whether how often the presence of a UFO may have taken us close to the brink? Um, There are reports, uh, and again, I would have to uh, just generally answer the question because I I can't think of the details, dates, times, sources of information, but it's been reported repeatedly that there were instances during the Cold War where radar in North America tracked anomalous objects coming over the pole, which were immediately assumed to be either missiles, Soviet missiles or bombers. And, a you know, this created alarm and uh, these things either just faded away or went off in another direction. And therefore, they were UFOs, quite clearly not weather phenomena or other uh, radar artifacts. They were clearly craft in some cases, large numbers of craft seemingly moving from the polar regions down toward into North America. I'll tell you what, we'll get into more of that issue that we've just raised with Robert Hastings. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. (laughs) 
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? Cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. All other whey proteins are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is now the standard by which all other whey protein powders can be measured. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop. Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today 
America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. Return with us now. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Robert Hastings joins us. You wanted to amplify on that particular answer you started about the UFOs coming from the polar regions. Is this common? Is this one of the possibilities that maybe they're using that as a station area? There are reports of UFO activity in Antarctica, which, after all, is a continent covered by ice. The polar regions in the northern hemisphere are water covered by ice. So unless they're operating under the ocean, which there are seemingly reports that that's in in the realm of possibility, you know, who knows? Uh, I'm simply reporting instances where targets, unknown targets, suddenly popped up somewhere in the polar region, and we're quite clearly heading down into North American airspace. Whether they Came in from outer space or from under the polar sea, who knows? I don't think that question can be answered. To sort of further expand upon the question we were we were dealing with earlier about why would they care about our welfare, etc. Um, again, unknown answer. Um, but let's just say that. Uh, even though they're not from here, they have bases here, and they operate uh, either in remote parts of uh, uh, you know, continental areas or under the ocean. Uh, if we screw up the planet with radiation or whatever, uh, it well be, may be that we are impacting their, let's say, uh, you know, pit stops somewhere else, uh, their, whatever utilization they would have for bases on, on our planet if they exist. Um, you know, nuclear warfare would not only disrupt human civilization; it would potentially interrupt their, uh, their disrupt their inter their uh, operations here as well. So that's one possible scenario. But doesn't that um, raise the possibility too that UFOs may be native? There's another theory about cryptoterrestrials, voiced by many, including the late Mac Tonys, which suggests that there is another race coexisting with ours. Maybe they're located in the oceans under the earth in caverns and the reason they're so concerned with what we do is when we hurt our environment or cause the danger of a world war with nuclear weapons they are directly impacted i don't subscribe to that as being a viable scenario again if one looks at the sighting reports of entities airlanded ufos we're dealing with diverse morphologies Quite clearly, it's not a question of one race having subsets like uh, Caucasians and Negroids and so on. But what you have are so radically different uh, types of physicalities that I think we're being visited from multiple places elsewhere in the universe. To me, to my mind, the available data, which are sketchy and they have been for 60 years now, are that we have multiple races visiting Earth from somewhere else. I just I think that's far more plausible based on the data that are currently uh, available for analysis than suggesting that this other race has been inhabiting this planet from the get-go and we've had this long time uh, sharing of the, of the Earth with them. I, I just don't think that holds up. I'm uh, sitting here with a good friend of mine who's um, a longtime Cisco lead engineer. Um, he's a 
mechanical engineer and physicist. And he's been busy writing up some questions for me here, and I, I want to ask uh, one of them. And he says uh, one debunking of this whole scenario that he's heard involved loosely inserted hardware cards. And when reseated into the chassis, it was said that, for instance, the Maelstrom's problems were corrected. He's not sure where he heard this, but he's pretty certain that, uh, that this was um, you know, a kind of a standard debunking sort of explanation for at least some of these particular incidences where, where uh, these, these malfunctions occurred. Is, is this possibly true? I, have you heard that this was a, a potential explanation for at least some of these uh, reports? Well, the, the latest variation on what occurred at F.E. Warren last October 2010 uh, was that a, a circuit card in a weapons systems computer had been improperly replaced and caused this disruption. Again, that entirely is contradicted by uh, two missile technicians active duty who say otherwise and say that this went on much longer and so on and that there was the there were these multiple sightings of this cigar shaped object so whether that's a garbled version what he heard or read about is is involved with that or not i don't know i do know that the boeing engineers uh robert, boeing engineer robert kaminsky who was called in by the Air Force to investigate the Echo Flight incident in March of 67, has said unequivocally, both in audio interviews um, and in a very lengthy letter to researcher Jim Klotz, that there could be, that his team could find no prosaic reason for this 10-missile shutdown. All of the theories proposed by the skeptics and by James Carlson, who's in a category by himself, simply yeah, I think we should start calling well. James Carlson Emma Carlson. <laughs> In any case, Robert Kaminsky's, at my website, there are lengthy articles about the Oscar and Echo flight shutdowns in which uh, I think there are direct links to uh, the Kaminsky letter in which he says, chapter inverse, this is why, you know, this was not a conventional shutdown incident. Furthermore, Kaminsky, who again headed up the Boeing team of engineers investigating the Echo flight incident, said that. They get a call from the Air Force basically saying, stop your investigation, do not file a report. This was unprecedented. You know, the Air Force would always want to know from Boeing why a missile failed, et cetera. In this case, they were waved off in no uncertain terms. And Kaminsky says quite clearly that his Boeing uh, liaison personnel who were at Malmstrom and, you know, during this whole episode, so that there were reports of UFO activity, and that's why the Air Force was trying to shut down the incident quite uh, quickly and not further investigate it. Now, this is the head of the Boeing team of engineers involved with the analysis. This was the guy who was tasked by Boeing and the Air Force to do the, to do the job. So, Yeah, really, what's wrong with that picture? Yeah. Well, um, Andrew uh, corrected me. He's not a mechanical engineer. He's a software engineer. I'm sorry, Andrew. Uh, it has another question. This this uh, relates to statistical analysis of a correlation between UFO sightings and nuclear-related facilities. And, you know, one thing that I was a little disappointed in your book is I, I was hoping to see a map, let's say, uh, that would indicate a true uh, statistical uh, clustering of objects around facilities. And Andrew uh, wants to know what sort of actual patterns have been mathematically derived from these uh, possible correlation. And one thing, if, when you do, let's say, go into a second printing, I, I would suggest just, you know, for my own uh, interest, uh, to, to include a map that gives more of a visual 
representation of a potential correlation between these sightings and these uh, these facilities. So, is, has you have you done any um, Bayesian analysis of clustering? In well, others have, yeah, go ahead. Again, here, and I did briefly allude to this earlier. From my my standpoint, here's the problem. Um, Basically, me and a handful of other people, primarily me, are seeking out witnesses who may or may not talk to us, and so we all have a sense of what went on, or we won't have a sense of what went on. I mean, a number of people have said, I know about that, but I'm not going to talk about it, and so there are all these gaps. So what you have is um, catch-as-catch-can data. I am tracking down people who may or may not talk to me. Um, I know of cases where, um, you know, for years I don't know about any sighting reports at a given base during a given time frame based on all the testimony I'm hearing, and yet ultimately 10 years down the road I finally find the right guy who is at the right place who was involved in the incident at that base at that time frame. So it's catch as catch can. No one can systematically say how many incidents occurred at a given base and a given time frame. Therefore, one cannot, in my mind, derive a quantitative model to either catalog historically, say, what took place when and where, and at the same time, accurately predict what might occur in the future because of all this data. You know, if the Air Force opened its files and reported, uh, gave every report to the public about these instances, then you could do something like that. Yeah, but I'm not going to hold my breath this, on that one. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you understand my point, I think. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, good uh, uh, point well taken. Uh, you know, one thing that, that's always uh, uh, impressed me about your work is how methodical you, you have been in terms of getting to these potential witnesses. And, and I think we... We, we've been so excited to get into this subject that one of the early questions I wanted to ask was to describe for our listeners uh, the process, I mean the laborious process that you went through to to contact these these various um, groups and alumni type groups, let's say. And, and why don't you describe to us the difficulty it is, you, you just brought it up, uh, in getting these people to talk and, and the process that you underwent to contact as many of these potential witnesses as possible. I think, I think our listeners really need to get a sense of how hard you've worked on this. And I think that's the kind of question that's going to make our listeners want to come back after the break and hear Pacing's answer on his investigative process, contacting the people and getting them to talk, which has got to be difficult. Robert Hastings joins us. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. 
Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The final four segments of the Paracast. Robert Hastings, our guest. The book is UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. My co-host is Chris O'Brien. On the Paracast, before we broke, we asked you this question. Chris did. He asked you a question about your investigative process, and maybe you can detail that here. How did you get these people to talk? I I think earlier in the program I mentioned the fact that uh, once I was aware that UFOs were being reported at the missile sites at Malmstrom in the spring of 67, in addition to my father, who worked at a place called the Sage Building, which was the, the military radar setup, who confirmed reports from civilian controllers at the air traffic control tower that I personally witnessed on one night. I describe in my book how that took place. In any case, once I knew that something needed to be going on and serious people who had serious jobs were reporting this independent of one another, I was 17 and 16 going on 17. I couldn't really do much with it until uh, I left college in 73, I think it was. I read uh, Ray Fowler's report about UFO activity at Malmstrom, and that's what sparked. So my immediate field of opportunity was as I would meet people uh, in the Air Force contacts I made, I would ask them, you know, the majority of people asked about UFO activity at nuclear missile sites or weapon sites, you know, either looked at me like I was crazy or said, you know, I don't know anything about that. And those responses were truthful. Some weren't. But over just, you know, slogging one foot in front of the other year after year, you finally come up with a, like I said, nearly 100 credible pe- uh, 130 rather credible people who have from the rank of retired colonel down to airmen talked in very specific terms about their involvement in one incident or another. The internet made things easier in terms of contacting military alumni groups. I could contact uh, security police squadron alumni groups. Those were the, the primary eyewitnesses. All the launch officers were underground. They, they were just getting these frantic reports from ground level from their security guys, but um, the eyewitnesses were the security police, and a number of them have been interviewed and appear in my book. But, you know, it's just still, it still has this kind of catch-ass, catch-can um, feel to it because there's really no systematic way for me to sit down with every member in every squadron at a given base during a given time frame and grill them all. It's no way I can do that. In essence, you just let one one clue and one source lead you to other clues and other sources. Kind of Hopefully. A, a, yeah. And, <laughs> You know, once you know, once I was, I have to say, once I was on Larry King in, in 2008, and um, that with Bob Sass and uh, I think it was two or three other retired Air Force officers, I got a number of uh, the, the number of solid leads from other Air Force veterans jumped uh, quite significantly. And uh, with my press conference in Washington this past September, which was streamed live by CNN, uh, during which seven former Air Force personnel were talking about these things, I again have gotten a, a new influx of sources. I, of course, have to vet sources. Every now and then I get a lawyer or someone who's unbalanced making unfounded claims. But the majority of these people are quite solid. Their credentials stand up. Their service records verify their their presence in these squadrons at these bases. Some of them even provide uh, backup witnesses who, once I call, um, if I'm lucky, they will confirm what the first person told me. So it's just a lot of, you know, sleuthing. I don't know what else to call it. Um, 
I can't tell you why I'm so obsessed with it, other than to say again that philosophically, I think we're on the threshold of a new paradigm shift, uh, a, a paradigm shift, and I think humanity within maybe not my lifetime, but certainly within the next few decades, is going to know that aliens have been visiting Earth and among other activities they've been monitoring and tampering with our nuclear weapons. Uh, I think that's self-evidently important. I think philosophically also the fact that we live in a supposed democracy. Is this type of secret something the U.S. government deserves to have carte blanche, a blank check, a blank check to keep us in the dark for 100 years about? I don't think so. So I'm doing what little I can do as a single person to try to crack the door open just a little bit. Let me ask you a fast question that occurs to me as you talk about this. Of the people you interviewed for the first book, for your original book, have you found any situations where maybe the evidence they presented is not as compelling as you thought it might be? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. Um, and I've been revising the book, uh, as I said, as the new sources come on. Um, I actually did that, that vetting process, weeding process, very conservatively. And if there were questions, there were a, a handful of people who, um, as I talked to them, their stories changed or, or whatever. Those people did not make the first cut. So the people that are in the book are, are in my view, quite credible. And, uh, I, I, you know, again, I am typing taped conversations with them, and the reader can make up his or her own mind as to the credibility of the sources. But I think they all stand up quite well. Okay, you said you're revising the book. So the book we get today, if we buy the book today, it's the original book. Is it a revised edition or just the original? It's the original edition. Uh, I have no idea when the second edition will come out, um, but I just feel that I've gotten enough solid leads since the first one came out in 2008 that ultimately I'll have to put out a second edition. Uh, it may not be until 2012 or even later. It's, there's really no end game or timetable for me at this point. It's not like a second book or a sequel, then? Um, you know, because I have sold the book only at my website with no advertising budget, you know, the number of people who have been exposed to it, other than the excerpts from it that have been posted online, is relatively small to the number of readers worldwide. So I think there's still a lot of, uh, you know, potential for audience for the first book. And well, again, it's it's 600 pages. It's 35 years of research. And, um, you know, it, it's not something that I'm going to easily and significantly revise in the short term. Um, you know, it's, it, these things move slowly and in fits and starts. And, you know, it, like I said, the next book uh, will have significant revisions in it. But when that comes out is anyone's guess. Fast question here, then. Looking at the book as it is now, what would you have wanted to change, if anything? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that uh, when Larry King suddenly asked me to appear, uh, I had not done a final proofread, and I had to rush to the publisher. So there are a number of typos in it. So something as silly as that I am, am somewhat embarrassed about. Um, but... Um, you know, I think one critic has said, uh, reviewed the book and said, you know, I am here, I'm reading variations on the story for 600 pages. And I initially wondered whether that was a good thing. And then I realized that 
this subject is so important that it, as a reference guide alone, this book needs to be written to verify that this went on not once, not twice, but hundreds of times all over the U.S., all over the world. And the enormity of the database in itself is is persuasive. So if you want a quick read, if you're into writing short <laughs> blog uh, entries, this is not the book for you. No. If, uh, if, if, on the other hand, you want to know what your government has been lying to you about regarding UFO activity at nuclear weapons sites, this is really, frankly, the only reference source on the planet at this point that, that covers the subject with uh, any kind of comprehensive uh, uh, overview and detail. Now, over the years, different governments have released what they claim to be a fair percentage of their UFO-related information. Of course, I guess the releases we've had here go back many years to the Project Blue Book special reports. Now, have you found anything in, say, the UK or other country releases that point out to additional evidence you have to explore for this kind of research? Uh, well, it's difficult enough to, to access eyewitnesses, you know, primary sources um, in the U.S., let alone the former Soviet Union or other countries where I have no immediate contacts and or can't speak the language. So I'm limited in that regard. Um, I will simply say that in addition to the reports from the Soviet, former Soviet Union that have been highlighted by George Knapp and other persons, um, there are also what I consider to be, consider to be credible uh, but cursory information relating to activity in Pakistan and India, which have been nuclear saber rattling uh, with each other for the last 10 years. There are incidents um, in uh, Israel within the last year, I think, of an object that was sighted above their nuclear weapons facility. The and we'll have plant. to get into more of that very shortly. Robert Hastings joins us. The book is UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal like angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos and much much more to receive your complimentary fate magazine call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 what are you waiting for your fate awaits Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. 
gold. For the realist, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. Don't let summer be a bummer. Stop sunburn pain, poison ivy, and mosquito bite itch, and the burn of athlete's foot with just one safe-all natural first aid product, Dermatol. Many GCN listeners have already discovered how effective Dermatol is as a natural, non-acidic way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many skin problems. Now this special offer. Buy one bottle of Dermatol. Get one bottle free. Call 1-800-217-6677 and mention GCN. Dermatol is the must-have first First aid product for your preparedness kit. Made in America by Americans, Dermatol's soothing, rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Call 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. And ask for the GCN Buy One, Get One Free Special or use coupon code GCN at checkout at DermatolUSA.com. Spell D-E-R-M-A-T-O-L-U-S-A.com. Efficient, economical, effective. Spray it all with Dermatol. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're talking with Robert Hastings. The book is called UFOs and Nukes, and from what we're hearing here, it's a work in progress. And briefly, you said before we took the break, about a case involving UFOs over a nuclear installation in Israel. Well, early, earlier this year, there was a report of an object that was sighted above the Damona nuclear plant in the Negev Desert uh, in Israel. And um, the official story was that uh, when jets fired upon it, it turned out to be a weather balloon. Uh, there's 
there's some definite questions about whether that's a credible uh, explanation for what the witnesses were describing. Um, I'm aware of uh, a single document from declassified Australian files, again, within the last uh, few months, um, indicating that there were sightings apparently at uh, one of the test sites in Australia, I think in, the, in New South Wales, um, where the British were testing their uh, atmospheric tests, nuclear weapons tests in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I'm aware of uh, reports from French Polynesia in 1970s, where the French, again, a member of the nuclear club, were testing their weapons, and a former um, weapons technician um, has come forward and talked about, I think, three off the top of my head, uh, independent sightings. He was aware of, of UFOs at either just prior to or just following French nuclear weapon tests. So it is universal or worldwide, let's say, and it's not confined to the superpowers, the U.S. and the former Soviet Union. I have uh, Andrew sitting here madly scram- uh, writing down some questions for me. Uh, I'll, Maybe I'll we should them. have Andrew just ask them himself. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Andrew. Okay, here he is. All right. This is a first. I think the uh, first time I've had a, a guest in my house when we're, we're taping the show. Andrew, take it away. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, very, very fascinating topic. Hats off to you, Mr. Hastings, on a wonderful book. So I was just wondering if there's any physical trace evidence at these uh, silos, sites um, of, of interest here. Uh, specifically, has there been any recorded depletion of radioactivity, uh, any oddly changed isotope ratios, or perhaps getting further out, uh, funky half-life effects? Anything that would indicate there's been something there that's been messing around with the nuclear material itself? My persons, my sources, uh, whether they be launch officers, targeting officers, or missile security personnel, would simply not have the background or the the need to know that information. They could not tell you, uh, for example, um, it, with that kind of specificity, whether such changes were found. Um, and again, it's a very compartmentalized situation. Um, I do know, and for example, to follow up, um, the people who are, who are providing field reports simply kick it up the chain of command. They never are given any feedback. They don't know what the conclusions were, et cetera. Um, when Chuck Holt, and when I interviewed him, Charles Holt, uh, deputy base commander at uh, RAF Bentwaters in 1980, when he went public, uh, talked to me in 2005, and even had gone public well before that and talked about this object covering above the weapons storage area, sending out laser-like beams of light. Prior to my interview with him in 1994, I had interviewed a retired Air Force colonel who I can't identify who was very high up in the NATO security uh, weapons, uh, nuclear weapons security apparatus. And he told me point blank that two tactical nuclear bombs, which were what were stored at the weapons storage area, it wasn't missile warheads, uh, battlefield nukes, tactical nukes, two of these uh, weapons were you moved shortly, removed rather shortly after the UFO incident and shipped to Kirtland Air Force Base for analysis. But again, his his protocols involve security, not the analysis, and so he was not directly involved in what uh, conclusions were drawn upon inspection of his weapons at Kirtland. Um, so again, it's very compartmentalized. Uh, the people on site just know that something hovered above the weapons. Suddenly, the weapons didn't work. Um, you know, but the people doing the analyses, for example, in the, this case I just mentioned involving Bentwaters, 
um, they have not made themselves available to me, and uh, so I, I can't answer that question. Well, Bentwaters uh, was unique in that you have a landed craft in, uh, in, you know, in this particular incident. How many other actual landings do we have? I, I don't seem to recall any. These are mostly objects that are hovering or, or flying by or, or, or you know, somehow in the airspace nearby. Do we have any real uh, landings of these craft inside secure facilities? We do, but they're rare. Um, I mentioned in my book uh, an incident in 1974. Uh, a former missile launch officer at F.E. Warren in Wyoming uh, described three incidents to me that the letters are printed in my book in which he described being reported of a landed object near one of the uh, missile facilities, but the, uh, the exception to the rule. Uh, usually these are hovering or maneuvering objects. Andrew mentioned earlier physical evidence. Uh, radar data are physical evidence. They are empirical. They can be quantified, unlike witness reports, anecdotal reports. Radar data can verify the presence of a physical object generating a radar return. can give you some information about the object's acceleration, etc. And there are instances uh, where radar have picked up objects concurrent with sightings of them, reports of them by the security personnel for example, at Malmstrom in November of 75. So that's physical evidence. That That's independent verification that something went on in those cases. Now, now has the Air Force released this radar data through FOIA? Uh, how do we know this? Do, do we have any paper trail uh, relating to these uh, actual returns from uh, radar units? Well, the, the letter that I just referenced, uh, which deals with UFO activity in November of 75 at Malmstrom Air Force Base, uh, it's comprised of NORAD logs, North American Aerospace Defense Command logs, containing radar data about, uh, well, verifying the presence of these objects that were hovering uh, and then maneuvering around uh, above these weapons. All of that was initially leaked by a Defense Intelligence Agency analyst in the late 70s. Uh, copies of that uh, document went to, among other people, researcher Brad Sparks and researcher Todd Seckel. Once they had this leaked document, the Air Force really couldn't deny its existence. When uh, FOIA requests were filed to have that officially released, a really choppy sort of censored version of the original document was released to both Brad Sparks and Todd Zeckel. It's been reprinted in my book. Uh, it's up at my website, but it's authenticated and it comes straight from uh, Air Force FOIA managers talking about radar confirmations of what at one point uh, were objects hovering stationary and then moving around just very slowly above these missile sites. Concurrent with pre uh, sighting reports by security personnel at the missile sites, one of which uh, the entry, the NORAD log entry, says that they were describing a, quote, orange-white disc-shaped object, or disc object, rather. Um, and so clearly you have your flying disc, flying saucer, um, being reported by these guards. Well, I want to tell our listeners, if you have anything to say about the show, positive, negative, or somewhere in between, you write us, news at theparacast.com. Once again, that's news at theparacast.com. We're continuing a fascinating session, a visit with Robert Hastings, author of the book UFOs and Nukes, available from his website. So you order a copy and get a sense, an expanded, greatly expanded version of some of the stuff he's just outlining here. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast.
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty. Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. You've heard a lot lately about zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout. Zeo King flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke, cell phones, and chemicals. So it detoxifies heavy metals, including mercury, lead, and cadmium. Zeo King Zeolite helps boost your immune system, allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites. Order your Zeo King Zeolite now from zeoking.com for only $39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order. Call 888-402-6779. That's 888-402-6779. Or visit zeoking.com. That's Z E O King.com for natural elimination of radiation poisoning. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast, because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. We continue with Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. Here on the Paracast, we have another question from Chris that we need to explore. Well, this is something that, you know, I just thought of. And, you know, I was just at the recent uh, MUFON Symposium this past weekend speaking with uh, Ron Regeer, who worked for a number of years on the DSP project in... uh, and, uh, of course, we know we have, uh, I think, 11 DSP satellites in geosynchronous orbit around the planet monitoring um, all sorts of uh, potential activity. I think initially it was obviously tasked uh, to detect ICBMs. That would be my assumption. Now, have you been able to find any sort of corroborative evidence from any sort of DSP scenario? We know that these satellites uh, are very effective at uh, monitoring uh, the ground, they're looking straight down, and uh, we have had uh, inklings of DSP being tied into uh, events uh, that then later are thought to be UFO events. Uh, for instance, the 1995 NORAD phone call to the Rio Grande County Sheriff in Southern Colorado. Uh, we did get confirmation that DSP, um, you know, did actually was the instrument that actually saw a few acre-sized heat bloom. Do you have any data that supports DSP being involved in possibly monitoring uh, these objects as they are having their way with our (laughs) secure airspace over these facilities? The short answer is no. uh, I have not personally accessed any documents that would confirm that. I have not been approached by or stumbled upon persons who have that information based on their job descriptions. I am aware of Ron Riger's research. I am aware of the incidents that you report in the San Luis Valley in Colorado um, involving the incident in 95. Um, I suspect that, you know, uh, the agencies involved with uh, these satellites have a number of photographs that you and I will never see. But proving that, of course, is another matter. One would think that there's enough activity over this many decades at these bases that some number of people are aware of what's going on and resources have been devoted to trying to monitor these incidents, even though they really can't control them or predict them, probably. But I suspect there are images out there. NPIC, uh, the National Photo Interpretation Center, was a component of CIA, is a component of CIA, I believe still by that name. In any case, um, Art Lundell, who was the founder of NPIC and was the person I think was in on the briefing of President Kennedy uh, on the U-2 photographs of the Russian missiles in Cuba, quite a heavy hitter, uh, Art Lundell, um, was approached by Todd Zeckel in the 70s and asked to comment on uh, NPIC's analysis of UFO photographs, which Mr. Zeckel had a number of sources or a small number of sources saying was going on. Art Lundell denied that was going on. He denied that there was any uh, CIA involved with uh, involvement with photo analysis of uh, UFO photographs, but Mr. Zeckel had credible sources saying otherwise. So 
you can bet that the photos are being taken and being analyzed. Uh, who really uh, keeps them and and so on is you know anyone's guess. Okay, we we still have a couple of questions from our uh, our very up to speed and informed and inquisitive uh, listening audience out there and forum or posters. Or all of the above. Yeah, or all of the above. There are you have answered quite a number of questions that have been posed, and I, I do want to stress this, Robert. Uh, your your appearance here has has really generated quite a, quite a number of questions and a lot of interest. One of the things that uh, people are interested in is the possibility that we're dealing with some sort of very down to earth, very terrestrial technology. And uh, Paul B2B2, who is a brand new forum uh, signee, says that. In fact, that, uh, he was our guest from last week. Oh, is, is that. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't realize that, but that's good to know that our, our guests are now uh, getting, jumping in uh, with both feet into the forum. This is excellent. Uh, he says he, he's really excited. He says, awesome that you'll be on. He will definitely be listening. But ask him about Nick Cook, who thinks that all kinds of advanced anti-gravity technology of earthly human origin has existed for decades. And, and the implication being, do you think there's any possibility that we're dealing with a multiplayer scenario? Sure, some of these objects appear anomalous, but is there a possibility that we're dealing with some sort of earthly technology? This kind of is a recap of an earlier question, but uh, is, there, is there a possibility? Nick Cook, who is an aviation editor, writer, whatever the exact title is, for Jane's Aviation Weekly, um, is out of his element the way he discusses UFOs. I've seen a couple of television documentaries where um, if he's not actively engaging in disinformation, and I'm not suggesting that he is, he is so naive about the topic of what has really gone on be behind the scenes that he doesn't even know the right questions to ask, and therefore he's being led around by people who have probably uh, alternative agendas. Um, mm. uh, the I would simply point out the fact that there's no credible evidence, despite what uh, he advances in terms of scenario, that the Nazis had all this advanced technology, which was subsequently confiscated by the U.S. government. Any number of independent sources say that while the Nazis were developing, attempting to develop radically designed craft, saucer-shaped craft, and so on, there is zero evidence uh, from any source, living or dead, or any document that would corroborate that uh, you know this turned into UFOs or flying saucers in the late 40s and early 50s. Um, on the you know and on the contrary, you have uh, the very clear and well documented situation. For example, in in July of 1952, the very famous Washington overflights, where both civilian military radar were picking up objects, uh, one of them flying 7,000 miles per hour. Our fastest jet was roughly 700 miles per hour. These objects were tracked by multiple radar stations on the ground around Washington, doing right-angle turns, 90-degree turns at high rates of speed, or complete reversals of flight without a turn. That is a 180-degree reversal of flight. Um, in my book, I argue that if someone had that technology, whether it was us or the Russians or Nazis living in Antarctica or whatever. Well, I was going to ask. Why we would gotta we watch have out that? for those Nazis in Antarctica, my yeah, friend. New Schwabenland. You know, if if we had just to name one racer case of up to doing that in 1952, why would we or the Russians or any other country on Earth spent the last 60 years 
developing ever more sophisticated fixed-wing aircraft who still can't do all of those things that were tracked on radar in 1952. Why would we not, you know, aside from just wasting tons and tons of money developing fixed-wing aircraft when we already had UFOs, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, getting back to finish the thought, however, um, you know, if, if some country on Earth had a craft in July 52 that could fly 7,000 miles per hour and do a right-angle turn with no damage, etc., not only would we or the Russians not have wasted the last half-century developing fixed-wing aircraft, which are to this day far inferior to those craft, but if we or the Russians had such sophisticated aircraft in the course of the Cold War and all these confrontations where we were constantly rattling sabers at one another, wouldn't we or the Russians have unveiled that technology and said, look, if you don't mind your manners, America, or if you, the Soviet Union, don't behave, we're going to unleash our UFO force on you. Um, if these objects can fly 7,000 miles per hour, you know, why would we not have launched a first strike or why would the Soviets not have launched a first strike by putting bombs or missiles on one of these UFOs and just taking out its adversary rather than messing with bomber technology for many years and then later missiles that, again, um, take far longer to, you know, really get the job done. So there's just any number of reasons why um, the scenario that UFOs are advanced uh, terrestrial craft just does not hold up under uh, strict analysis in my view. I wanted to remind all of you that if you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, write us, news at theparacast.com. Once again, that's news at theparacast.com. We do read each and every message we get, and we respond to most of them. Another way to get in touch with us are world-famous forums, sometimes very controversial forums, over at forum.paracast.com, forum.paracast.com. We have Robert Hastings. The book is called UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. 
order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We're doing the wind-up tour with Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien on the Paracast Chris, any more questions left? Well, yeah, I, I, I have one. Robert, you recently contacted me with some uh, an interesting uh, bit of news. You were inquiring about a certain, uh, well, you're asking questions about the San Luis Valley because evidently you're planning on moving to the San Luis Valley. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit here before the show ends? or? Sure. I'm currently living in Taos, New Mexico, and I bought some property in the San Luis Valley, and I'm not going to be more specific than that. And I'm building a small house, a casita, and I hope to be in by November. People have said, you know, you're aware of all the paranormal activity up there. That's certainly the reason you moved up there. Uh, actually, I moved up there because it's, it's extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, the San Luis, uh, the um, Sangre de Cristo mountain range, snow-capped mountain 
mountain range everywhere when I step outside my new house. It's scenically beautiful. It has dark skies. I, I can see the stars at night. But I'm also hoping to see strange objects in the sky from time to time. Um, it, but that really was not the, the, the primary reason I bought up there. What happens if I get a, a sighting from the uh, part of the valley that uh, you're moving to and building a house, what, uh, would you be up for a late night phone call maybe to run out uh, with some f- photographic equipment? Because it would be great to have somebody as motivated and up to speed as you as part of the Skywatch network there. I'd really appreciate it if I could rely on you to possibly help corroborate some uh, sighting reports that I get from time to time. It would be great to have you there, that's for sure. I'm happy to do that. I'm a chronic insomniac. I'm up half the night both nights anyway, so you probably wouldn't even wake me up if you called. Yeah, maybe we could. Uh, we're talking about possibly having a, uh, a, a un, unpiloted drone scenario. We met uh, an engineer and a very interesting guy who's an ex Lawrence Livermore scientist who's designing some pretty sophisticated remotely piloted uh, helicopter technology that uh, has quite a, a payload capacity up to 40 pounds. This one, the first initial drone. And. Uh, you know, we've been kind of thinking about a, a really good place to park that thing, so maybe we could talk later on down the road. Uh, you know, of course, Andrew here wants to uh, wants to really really get going on on uh, kind of maximizing our potential there, and and it would be great to have you on board as uh, as an unofficial team member. Well, well, we I'm happy to accommodate you. We'll we'll discuss <laughs> the the particulars. I have seen, I think I'm up to eight uh, unidentified objects over about a 35-year period. Uh, Objects that quite clearly were not aircraft, but the duration of the sighting and uh, the distances involved really precluded any sort of, you know, unequivocal um, uh, assessment of what I was looking at. Okay, these are your sightings, and this is a key point we haven't gone into before. Right. Sure. When did you see your first UFO? In April of 66, I saw an object that could be called a green fireball, and in my book, I have a whole chapter based on uh, Dan Wilson's research into the green fireball phenomenon. It turns out these objects were being reported over Los Alamos, Sandia Labs, over the Killeen uh, weapons storage area in Texas um, back in the 40s and 50s. Some of the observers observed uh, maneuvers. Quite clearly, they were not natural phenomena. They were clustered around northern New Mexico and west Texas where these nuclear facilities were. They did not distribute themselves. Sightings were not uniformly distributed or randomly around the world. So quite clearly they were objects of some kind under intelligent control. Um, Captain Edward Ruppel uh, talks about a discussion at Los Alamos of the green fireballs with some nuclear scientists who concluded they were probably alien craft of some kind. So I saw one of those in 66 um, if it was a meteor, it sure didn't look like any other meteor that I've seen before or since. I want and, to ask you one uh, thing here, maybe just address one point. You're saying Ruppelt concluded they were alien? Because he um, never concluded um, that it, in it, his books. He always said maybe they are, and then he recanted on that in the revised version. What I said or meant to say was that in his book, he describes, in fact, I've reprinted a good page or two of, of directly from his book, where he's at Los Alamos discussing the subject of the green fireballs with nuclear scientists working at Los Alamos, and a number of them speculated that these were alien okay. craft uh, monitoring devices of some kind. Uh, and he, Ruppelt, makes a comment, you know, the scientific community as a whole 
had they known these conversations were going on and that these top flight nuclear scientists were talking about alien spacecraft visiting Los Alamos, you know, they would have been, you know, horrified. Um, but he reported in 1956 in his book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, that he had conversations with these scientists, some of whom were green fireball sighting witnesses who said that were offering the, the idea, a number of them apparently, that these were probably probes of some kind uh, launched by an alien spacecraft in orbit around Earth. And Ruppelt goes into great detail about the discussion that took place. So what do you think here? you think maybe the UFOs have a larger base on Earth or maybe on the backside of the moon, as is suggested by some? Who knows? Um, I, I think, you know, anecdotally over decades now, there do seem to be suggestions of uh, objects in remote areas seemingly coming out of mountains or going into mountains, so whether that's an illusion or, or suggestions of, uh, you know, suggest some sort of underground facility, who knows? Um, there are many, many reports of objects popping out of the water or diving into the water. Do they have bases under the oceans? Who knows? Probably. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, while we're talking about this, uh, all of these reports over the last 20 years of the Dull Sea Base in northern New Mexico are disinformation. And if one cares to look at the history of those stories and where they came from, uh, Richard Doty, a former OSI agent who has admitted to forging documents and misleading Linda Mooton Howe and many, many others, uh, scientists named Paul Benowitz, with all sorts of bogus information and forged documents in which he presented the underground alien base at Dulce as a topic of discussion. You know, that base, the stories about that base, in my view, are thoroughly discredited, and I personally investigated and was involved in exposing Richard Doty 20-something years ago. I'll tell you what, um, we've actually asked Richard Doty to come on the show and explain himself. And he keeps chickening out. He's afraid of being asked the tough questions, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, let's see. I can't remember where this article is. I wrote, I wrote an article two years – well, I wrote one in 1989 in which I first exposed Richard Doty as a disinformation operative at Kirtland Air Force Base OSI who was feeding bogus information to Linda Howe, Bill Moore, and other individuals, this Paul Penowitz. Basically, uh, after denying um, that that was true, within months, uh, Bill Moore held an infamous, infamous gave an infamous presentation at the MUFON convention in Las Vegas. This would have been the summer of '89, in which he admitted about 90% of the things that I had written about uh, that in fact there was disinformation schemes going on. Linda Howe was suckered, uh, etc. And Many years later, Doty finally, in dribs and drabs, has confirmed that he had forged documents to, to, to try to uh, camouflage the Roswell story and any number of other subjects. All of that is, is common knowledge. I wrote a follow-up article, I think in 2009, called Operation Bird Droppings. One can Google that Operation Bird <laughs> Dropping and read the, you know, and these these sources of this supposedly high-powered inside UFO information were called the Aviary. Uh, there was Falcon and uh, you know all Condor and all these other people. But yeah. no one named Buzzard. Well, uh, <laughs> Doty was either Buzzard or Dodo. I'm not sure which. I, I forget. Well, that you know, the, you get six different stories from six different people who are involved in all of that. Uh, the information I was getting early on was that he was Falcon, and um, when I exposed him basically as such and what he was up to, the shenanigans he was up to, 
then there was a lot of backtracking. Oh, he wasn't really Falcon. He was covering for another guy who was Falcon. And just I don't want to get into all- it. We're just about out of time. I'll tell you what. <laughs> where do we find more of your information? My, my website is ufohastings.com. Uh, it's got several articles there. It's got my background. It's got an overview of the UFO nukes connection. It's got a full-length video of the press conference that held in uh, September 2010 in Washington, CNN Stream Live. You can see the full-length video at my website. And then, of course, uh, if anyone's interested in uh, 600 pages of this history, chapter and verse, then you can purchase my book there as well. Robert Hastings, thank you for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thank you for having me on. I certainly appreciate this opportunity to uh, present this information. It's quite clearly important. Uh, Forget what I say about it. Just read the testimony of my sources and draw your own conclusions about the reality of the situation. Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.